0: Do you notice I uh, put the meeting down as Nerdfist? We did, yes. yes.
1: I called us Nerdfist the other day and it felt really <laughs> metal.
2: If you try and get Alexa to play it as a podcast, it'll say Playing Nerdfist.
0: <laughs> Which is either filthy or Australian. Play <laughs> <Like> Nerdfist.
3: <laughs> it sounds like a game show, filthy or Australian. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Hello and welcome to another episode of Nerdfest Podcast. With us today we have... Dan Watkins, Ian McLaughlin,
1: Karis Gibson,
4: Peter Johnson, and I'm John Farthing. Today we've got some buff or bluffs where we test each other on our film knowledge and Daniel also has a special extra quiz for us involving studio notes. So let's get going.
2: Today's going to be a really clean episode. We have Karis, John, Andy and all on the same show, which Ooh. is the first time we've ever done that. And we may never do it again.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is going to be a great show. Go on, go.
2: So what's everybody been up to then? Dan, you've been watching something lovely and wonderful. I have
3: indeed. Now available to watch in the UK is the documentary We Are Freestyle Love Supreme about the hip-hop improv group started and starring Lin-Manuel Miranda of Hamilton fame, various (sighs) other cast members of Hamilton and some incredibly talented freestylers. Ian, you saw it before me, so you should really take the lead and tell us how great this documentary is.
0: It is fantastic, actually, because I had no idea that Hamilton had kind of improv roots. It's a wonderful documentary, not just about the history and where Hamilton came from, but the true camaraderie of a group. We're all kind of uh, based around an improv community. Uh, The things that they do to warm up and and, and the games that they play are the things that we do. It was really warm and beautiful and some incredible skills. I mean, these guys could, like, properly freestyle. I thought it was one of the best documentaries I've seen in a long, long time.
3: It made me miss the Edinburgh Fringe, and you see footage from them in 2005, desperately trying to get people to come to their show. And if you could imagine the three years on Broadway sellout, Lin-Manuel Miranda having to force people, 650, come and see us on George Street. It's an odd visual. The feeling of an improv group, which I have very much missed over the past year and a half, just seeing them before a show, made me really miss that energy that you can only really get in person. We love the online stuff, but seeing a group get together and do a show. So all of the feels watching that and
0: just in awe of their rhyming skills. Oh, yeah, absolutely awesome. That wonderful feeling you have of like being in the same room and sharing the stage and yeah, it was it was beautifully shot and beautifully executed and taught you a lot.
3: It's the connection they have with each other when the rest of the group knows where the lead rapper is going and they can join in with it and build on it you see them light up on stage when one of them hits a rhyme that nobody was expecting and it's just brilliant to watch
0: and also another slightly interesting element to it was when one of your group becomes famous yes how does that affect the dynamic of the group you know because obviously lynn became super huge famous right in the middle of them doing their thing and and they kind of touch on that a little bit and it's i think it's fascinating to see he kept them close. I mean, He even cast some of them in the show, doesn't he?
3: And still pops in occasionally yeah. and does a show. And they, they talk about that in the tech rehearsals, saying, OK, Lin's going to come in at this point. We'll have to stop the music because they're going to applaud him for ages. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll carry on.
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely. Totally recommended. You must watch.
3: And where can people find it? Uh, you can find it now on Now. Now.
0: <laughs> you can watch it on Sky Documentaries and on Now TV and pretty much everywhere now.
2: I shall track it down.
1: Yes. Can we do a Geordie Hamilton between the five of were? No. (laughs) (laughs) Just
0: no. Or if it's based out on a, you know, um, a girl's night out in Newcastle, we call it Camel Toe. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Wow. That was your fault,
0: Karis. You set that up.
1: I'm not sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And also um, another great documentary to watch is Showbiz Kids. It's a brilliant insight into what it's like to be a child star. People like Henry Thomas, you know, who was Elliot in ET. We've also got a Mila Jokovic, who was a young star as well. And it's a brutally honest look at what it's like to have that pressure put on you as a young child. Totally recommend that. That's on Sky Documentaries.
4: That's directed by Alex Winter, who is Bill in ah. Bill and Ted. So obviously, ah. was a showbiz kid himself. Yes. In things like The Lost Boys. So he's obviously gone through that experience himself and had some of the darker side himself, I think he's talked about it in the past.
0: And they do touch upon that in the documentary as well, that the sexual predators that inhabit the world of movies. It's fantastic. Really good.
4: I'm going to watch that this evening.
0: It not only looks at the testimony from people who have been in the business, but then then sort of juxtaposes it with kids now going to auditions and mm. the way that the families deal with it. Mm. And where's, where's that one? That's definitely on Sky Documentaries.
3: As, as a Sky show, it'll probably be also on now. Yeah. And
4: a little tip for Now TV, if you cancel it, they just give you a half price for six months. And I've been doing that for about three years now. And what if
2: you cancel it again? to get half as much each time?
4: <laughs> <laughs> They're now paying me £10 a month to take it, which is quite nice. Ooh. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I think, is it time for some buff or bluffs?
2: It is. Who'd like to go first? My buff or bluff
0: is about on-set pranks that happen during filming. So what I've got for you is I've got five.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You never do three, do you, ever?
0: (laughs) Can you spot which one is the bluff? In Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, when all the students of Hogwarts are lying in the Great Hall in sleeping bags... Alan Rickman had a fart machine placed inside Daniel Radcliffe's sleeping bag, (laughs) (laughs) which Michael Gambon set off at the end of Uh -uh. a long take. It was especially humiliating for teenage Radcliffe, who had specifically requested that his sleeping bag be next to a girl that he fancied. Number two. On the set of The Lord of the Rings, the crew gave Dominic Monaghan and Billy Boyd, who played Merry and Pippin, an alternate script. Which includes the scene of them losing their clothes and spooning together naked to keep warm. <laughs> <laughs> they actually filmed the spooning. Only after that did they reveal it was a prank. Uh. Number three Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. During filming, Barbara Streisand <laughs> and, and Carrie Fisher uh. visited the set. In the scene where Indiana Jones is tied to a stone and is whipped by a Nazi, Steven Spielberg <laughs> dressed Barbara Streisand in a Dominatrix outfit <laughs> for the whipping. And then at the end, Carrie Fisher jumps on and gives him a massive snog.
1: Yeah, I remember that bit.
4: <laughs> that, that stayed in the film. Do we need a four and five? <laughs>
0: <laughs> After that. On the set of The Dark Knight, Heath Ledger arranged a wonderful prank for director Christopher Nolan. In the legendary opening bank robbery scene, We see the Joker's face for the first time when he takes his clown mask off. In the final one for luck take, Heath Ledger replaced himself with Nolan's wife, Emma Thomas, who he had not seen in person for eight months. When she pulled off the mask, Nolan broke down in
4: tears. Because the shot was ruined.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And the final one. On the set of Star Trek Into Darkness, Simon Pegg convinced several actors that they would need to have a special cream inside the laser room He convinced many of the cast, including Zachary Quinto, Zoe Saldana, Benedict Cumberbatch, that they had to wear a special cream so they didn't get radiation poisoning.
2: Which one of those is the bluff, do you think?
4: Hmm. Uh, Hmm, I've no idea.
2: I wonder. Okay, does anyone know any of them, true?
3: I have heard something not dissimilar for one of them.
4: Hmm. I think I've heard the special radiation cream.
3: Uh, I think I've heard the sleeping bag fart machine one.
4: Hmm.
1: I think that they're all made up.
3: Oh, a double bluff.
4: I just can't imagine Barbra Streisand agreeing to just as a dominatrix to whip Alison Ford. (laughs) It doesn't
2: sound very likely, does it? (laughs)
4: Whilst Carrie Fisher... I mean,
2: Carrie Fisher's game for anything. (laughs) Yeah,
3: Yeah. And the Christopher Nolan one, as good a director as he is, he doesn't strike me as somebody who would appreciate being pranked.
1: Oh, he'd lose his shit.
3: Even in a lovely way, like being
1: oh. surprised by your wife. No.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think I'm going to plump for um, Barbara Streisand uh, as the dominatrix. <laughs> as the bluff. Okay, what are
0: you going for, Dan?
3: My instinct is telling me Barbara Streisand and Carrie Fisher on Temple of Doom. Okay. So I think that's my pick.
1: I think that they're all made up and <laughs> you're being very silly.
0: And John the Farthing.
4: I'm I'm torn between Christopher Nolan and the um, Barbara Streisand dominatrix but I think Christopher Nolan's wife was a producer on the film so maybe would have been on the set and therefore that possibly is a bluff just to be different I'm going to go for Christopher Nolan and Heath Ledger not dressing Christopher Nolan's wife up as the Joker
0: Okay, you've all made your choices and the bluff is Christopher Nolan.
4: Well done. Yes, his wife was producer
0: and she was there every single day. (laughs) The others are true and I actually have footage, if only I could show you. There is actually footage of Barbara Streisand whipping (laughs) Indiana Jones (laughs) and then Carrie Fisher coming in and kissing him. It was a a real prank. (laughs)
4: There's
0: also footage of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, As Daniel said, he he recognised that story. They did actually put a fart machine inside his sleeping bag And so at the end of the scene, (laughs) there's a massive fart and uh, he doesn't get to get the girl. (laughs) Anyway, that's my buffer bluff. Hurrah. Ah, Excellent. Well well done. What's
3: the best prank you've ever done?
0: Uh, You know those sort of polystyrene heads that you put wigs on? I had one of those in the house, which I put on my own head and a big dressing ground. So it looked like I was about eight feet tall with this (laughs) scary ghost head. And I walked in the bedroom and went, morning, Bev. <laughs> and she literally jumped out of bed and ran into the window. <laughs> he was so <laughs> terrified. <laughs> oh, 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 oh.
1: <laughs> Bless.
0: What about you, Daddy? Have you done a good prank?
3: I do subscribe to the John Oliver theory of there being nothing more fun than lying to people about history. And just making up facts and seeing mm-hmm. how many people I can convince until I have to tell them I'm making it up. <laughs>
1: Is this how you became a historian, Dan?
3: It happened afterwards. You can find <laughs> out how much people believe what you say by saying a load of rubbish. And if mm-hmm. you're convincing enough with that, then the truth's going to be even better.
4: I may have told my prank gone wrong story before where I was uh, in the shower listening to Six Music.
1: Sex Music? Six Music,
4: the radio <laughs> station.
2: So it's more like a Prince album.
3: <laughs> and then Barbara Streisand showed up.
4: Yeah. <laughs> and... um. Goodbye horses came on. So I immediately took to my junk between my legs, ran out of the shower into the living room with a towel, so I do you want to fuck me? Do you want to fuck me? I'd fuck me. And she'd never seen Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> 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 uh. <laughs>
2: Did she just wonder what the hell was going on? <laughs>
4: Pretty much. <laughs> that was the end of that relationship. <laughs>
0: John, how many relationships have ended badly like that when you like,
2: tried to... Rep- how
0: many? Yeah,
4: so far your last percentage, you end up with taking my cock away and dancing for them.
2: <laughs> with them saying, put it away, John. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not going in. <laughs> <laughs> that's what she said. Hey, <laughs> Excellent.
3: Well, I've got a buff or bluff about movie-related Guinness World Records. Ooh. Mm.
4: Mm.
3: Number one. The record for largest ever drive-in movie screening was a special event organised by Pixar for the release of Cars 3, and was attended by 2,486 Cars. Number two. A man from Florida has the record for most cinema productions attended of the same film. He saw Avengers Endgame in the cinema 191 times. This equates to 576 hours or 24 full days spent watching the film. And number three, the record for most expensive Star Wars action figure sold at an online auction is a prototype Boba Fett with rocket firing action, which sold for $185,850. And I will say the made up fact, I've made up the whole thing, not just the number
2: ah okay mm-hmm. i do know there's something about those rocket firing boba fett that they are very rare they are
4: they're incredibly rare because they actually fired the rocket out of the back and um, someone pointed out whether we're making it, that that's like a choking hazard mm-hmm. so they never actually got beyond a few prototypes or I mean, under like the holy grail of star wars merchandise so i can believe that is true
2: do we believe someone's seen end game nearly 200
4: times Th-
2: that's the one that troubles me if there's a few of us have seen it five or ten times Karis is shaking her head there.
4: Well, Doctor Strange saw that millions of times, didn't he? Yes, he did.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That'll work on a podcast. (laughs) I'm just wondering whether you could get, um, how many cars was it? 2,486. Could you get 2,486
2: cars near enough a screen to be able to even see it? Well, I was thinking it wasn't enough, but it does make sense that that's the reason there's that limit on it.
0: I'm going to go for the cars. I think you can't get that many cars around a screen to be able to see it.
4: I'm gonna go for the Avengers just because the film was about three hours long. How many times do you say when a uh, hundred and ninety-one screenings. Let's assume we can do three screenings a day, going every day three times a day for pretty much its entire theatrical run. Is he married? Was he married? <laughs> Obviously not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the math kind of quite works on that. I think it's possible but unlikely.
0: Did he say go to the cinema or did he say watched it? It had to be cinema productions attended. Mm. All right, so actual visits to the cinema. Mm. Mm. Correct. Mm.
3: Okay. Mm. I assume because Guinness have to verify that each
2: viewing took place.
1: Does that mean that someone was watching him watch these movies? That's
2: a worse job, isn't it? Or maybe kept ticket stubs.
1: You could just buy the tickets then. Mm. There's
2: a lot of paperwork involved in breaking a world record. <laughs> there is.
1: But you know,
0: people go to ridiculous lengths to break a world record just to get in the book.
1: I'm surprised there's not been a movie about that. <laughs> Very dull movie. <laughs> the paperwork <laughs> of the Guinness Book of World Records, <laughs> the bureaucracy trail. How is that not riveting, Peter? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think I'm going to go with. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with Endgame as well. Yeah, me too. So that's
3: three for Endgame, one for Cars, one mm-hmm. for Cars. Ian. You are correct. Yay! But not for the reason you think. I I made up the fact about Cars 3, but the record for the largest drive-in cinema by car capacity is 3,000 cars.
0: Wow, that's incredible. How big was the screen?
3: I don't know, but there are two drive-in complexes in the USA who co-hold that record. Oh. Yeah. Uh, There was a man from Florida who did see Endgame 191 times, He did make the news. He was very happy about it when he broke the world record. How his mental state is now, I'm not sure. Um.
1: What a loser.
3: (laughs) (laughs) A world record-breaking loser, I'll have you know. World's biggest loser. (laughs) The most expensive Star Wars figure sold online was a prototype Boba Fett, which, as John explained, was never released for safety reasons. And in British Pounds, it's just under £145,000 spent wow. on that action figure. That's that's money. Mm. It's a lot of money. Oh
1: my God, that's stupid.
3: <laughs> it is very stupid. So that is my Guinness World Records, Buff or Bluff. I hope I've inspired each of you to break a movie-related world record.
1: Yay! <laughs> Thanks, Dan. If I had the money, I would buy stupid stuff like that and then destroy them on YouTube. <laughs>
3: That's what I would do. i make people cry. The angry comments you would get. Oh, my goodness.
0: Oh, it's a, that's a good question, isn't it? If you could buy any prop or thing from a movie, mm. what is the one thing that you would buy?
1: Uh, Lucille, the baseball bat from The Walking Dead.
0: Uh, I would buy Slimer from Ghostbusters. Ooh. One of the
3: animatronic dinosaurs from Jurassic Park. Dirk Diggler's fake knob from Boogie Nights. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, Peter, you had some nice time with that on your own, weren't
2: you? Well, then you can say, do you want to come up to my place to see my knob?
4: <laughs> Mark Wahlberg's real knob from Boogie Nights. You'd do more with it. Now, I would have a, I'd love a face hugger, like a real face
1: facehugger.
2: Everyone needs a hug. Like a
1: real one. Mm.
4: Cute. Oh, the little baby alien that bursts out of John Hurt's chest. That would be fairly cool.
2: That would be cool.
3: Oh, actually, can I change my answer? I would quite like the baby
2: Yoda from The Mandalorian. oh
1: Oh. Oh, i would just get loads
2: Karis, what have you got for us
1: hiya hello (laughs) you're right guys right this is completely unrelated to my buffer bluff but in my podcast notes i've got here how do vampires get boners
2: is this a joke i'm trying to think of a punch no it's
1: not a joke it's just a note that i put on there in the middle of the night (laughs)
2: i think
3: there have been some instances of vampire fiction where this has been explained yeah there are i believe some kinds of vampire that do still have a form of blood circulation despite being dead because Mm. just the the act of being able to drink blood and things like that you need to be able to perform bodily functions and therefore it's not impossible that you could get a boner And there are, I think, some vampires where it's not reliant on blood flow for it to happen. It's more of a muscle thing. And you could kind of fictionally explain it away that way. Look, I think about vampires too much.
1: A muscle thing. That's amazing. (laughs)
3: Those would be my two explanations. Take whichever one you wish to be less disturbed by.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, I'm fine with being disturbed by it. That's great. Um, Thank you very much for clearing that up. (laughs)
4: It's <laughs> Gary Oldman going to do with those erectile dysfunction adverts like Pillay does, but as in character? <laughs> do yours suffer from nighttime disappointments? If so, try Dracula Gra. <laughs> Dracula Gra? <laughs> it's like <laughs> Viagra for Dracula's. Brilliant.
1: <laughs> so, my Buffer Bluff is around horror villains and the actors who played them. Ooh.
4: Ooh. Number one.
1: Kane Hodder was a stuntman director and has been the only person to portray Leatherface, Jason Voorhees, and Freddy Krueger. Number two. Doug Bradley, who played Pinhead in Hellraiser, was upset after the after party because he was ignored by the whole cast and crew. He later found out that nobody recognised him when he didn't have his makeup on. Number three. Steve Martin was going to play Hannibal Lecter, but he was too busy filming Father of the Bride, and so he graciously offered it to Anthony Hopkins.
3: Steve Martin as Hannibal Lecter is something I'd quite like to have seen. But, I
2: mean, surely he doesn't get to pick who plays it instead of him. <laughs>
1: but actors recommend other actors a lot but, after auditions.
2: And who is the person for the
3: second
1: one? Doug Bradley, who played Pinhead.
3: Oh, right. Did he play him in Hellraiser 5, John?
4: He did. He played him in Hellraiser's 1 to 8 before being replaced because um, he wouldn't sign a non-disclosure agreement before being allowed to read the script for Hellraiser 9.
1: Why wouldn't he sign the non-disclosure? That's a really unusual reason. Because
4: he heard a rumour the film was going to be terrible. Right. And if he signed the non-disclosure, then didn't do it. He wouldn't be allowed to tell people the film was going to be terrible.
1: Right.
3: Unlike the indisputable quality of numbers one <laughs> to eight.
1: Yeah.
4: So they basically, they,
0: they just couldn't pin him down.
1: Uh, oh. Hey. No. Brilliant.
4: I will let everybody else go first for this because I know the answer.
2: Right. Now, I do know Kane Hodder's quite famous for playing these masked-up people. Don't know if he played Freddy. I don't think Freddy Krueger was always played by the same guy. Robert England. Yes.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And I could imagine later on they just had a different actor with latex.
4: No, it was Robert England in all the films apart from the remake. Which was Rorschach, Rorschach yeah. from Watchmen, mm. wasn't it? That's a terrible film.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go with that one.
4: The Steve
3: Martin one seems so strange that I can't help but think it's true. He played Cyrano de Bergerac, so, you know, he's used to being a stalker. Yeah.
2: Not quite the same thing. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he
0: was probably quite interested in playing a serious character, you know, getting away from his comedy roots. Mm-hmm. So maybe. Yeah.
3: But Lecter's got a weird, very dark humour about him, Yeah, uh, which you could imagine somebody as likeable as Steve Martin would bring something to that. So, true. I'm going to go with the middle one. I don't know anything about the Hellraiser films, but Pinhead is the one thing I've heard of in connection to it, and not knowing who he was after
2: the shoot seems weird.
4: Hell, there's a five surprisingly good. <laughs> really?
2: I haven't heard that, John.
4: I'd, re- I'd recommend it.
2: I'm going to go with uh, Kane Hodder for the first one. Doug Bradley for me.
4: Ian?
0: I'm going with the Kruger. I don't think he played Kruger.
1: And John?
4: I don't want to trade on your explanation, but I think he did play Fiddy Kruger in kind of a cheaty way. Okay. So I'm going to go for Steve Martin being the bluff. Certainly, I know the Hellraiser story is famously true because he was in makeup all the time when he came on set, so the, the, the cast hadn't seen him out of makeup.
2: Did they not see him at the hotel and things?
4: He would come to the set in the morning. The makeup took hours to put on and a couple of hours to take off, so the rest of the cast would come in, do their bits and go, and then he'd be sat in the chair.
1: So i made up of Steve Martin.
4: <sighs> I talked myself into it. It was so
3: implausible.
0: Mm. That's why I believed it. It had to be plausible. Yeah. Well done.
1: <laughs> Thank you. But I, I would um, love to see Steve Martin do a Hannibal Lecter. He'd be great. He's a mm. brilliant actor.
0: Right.
3: He's got a new series coming out on Disney Plus with Martin Short called uh, Only Murders in the Building. Mm. They both live in an apartment block. There's been a murder and they take it upon themselves to try and solve it for a true crime podcast they've decided to start. (laughs)
4: Okay.
0: (laughs) That was a great bluff. I love that. Yeah, very good. Cool. Cast Steve
3: Martin as Lector. The campaign starts here.
4: Kane Hodder. Kenneth, do you know when he played Freddy Krueger?
1: No, but he has been the stuntman for all three of them.
4: He played Jason Voorhees in about four Friday the 13th films. Yeah. He was the stuntman for Leatherface in a couple of the remakes. But the only time he played Freddy Krueger is Jason goes to hell the final Friday. And at the end of that, Jason is dead and the mask is just laid in a pile of dust because they've killed Jason. And then like in a little teaser at the end, the end credits say Freddy Krueger's hand comes up the claw and pulls the mask underneath. And it was Kane Hodder's arm wearing the Freddy Krueger glove. So to say he played him is a push, but he certainly, there's possibly two seconds on camera of Freddy Krueger's arm where it's Kane Hodder doing it.
3: But did you believe it was Freddy in those two seconds?
4: Well, I guess so.
3: And then he played him. Mm
4: -hmm.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think I just got off on a technicality.
2: Okay, I can go next if you like. Do it. So I love the way that science fiction movies give us this glimpse of the gadgets we expect to be using in the future. There are even cases where the design of something like a communicator pad in Star Trek has influenced actual products like flip phones and iPads that come to market later. For several decades, Sony were famous for creating really high-tech devices that give us a taste of that future. From the Walkman, which shrunk a huge tape recorder to something you clip on your belt, to projects like iBo. A robot dog for a world where people can no longer manage to fit a real pet into their lives. But sometimes they lost their way, and what may have sounded fantastic on the drawing board was just a really bloody stupid idea in reality. (laughs) Here are three Sony inventions for you. Can you tell the techno from the tech? No!
4: Oh, fuck off, Peter.
0: (laughs) You were really proud of that, weren't you, Peter? I was, yeah. That's the episode title.
4: (laughs) What? Oh, fuck off, Peter. (laughs) (laughs) That could be any episode (laughs) Number 1
2: The Fight Station Motion Suit Around 10 years ago Sony were competing fiercely in the gaming space Against Microsoft Who were rumoured to have an exciting new vision based system For Xbox Which promised to be as revolutionary as the Wii controller In bringing new types of gameplay They came up with a Lycra suit With flexible plastic tubes on each major joint With LEDs at one end And a light sensor at the other Brightness of the light reaching the sensor would indicate the angle of each joint, so it could work out what position your body was in. Sony worked with Capcom to add support for this suit to a version of Street Fighter. It worked well, but fit was crucial, so it would have needed to be made in a large range of sizes to fit every player. It was never seen in public beyond appearances at CES and the Tokyo Game Show in 2009. Number 2. Roly These speakers took mobile audio to a ludicrous conclusion. They put an MP3 player with a built-in speaker into an egg-shaped, rolling, autonomous robot. With just six moving parts, it would attempt to dance along to any song you were playing, accompanied by a multicoloured light show. It had just 2GB of memory, cost $400, and included pre-programmed choreography for Avril Lavigne's girlfriend. It was not a hit and didn't even survive long enough to be killed by the iPod. And number three, the Cybershot smartphone cameras. A decade ago, mobile phones had terrible cameras, so if you cared about photography, you'd have to carry around a honking big DSLR as well as your phone. Sony released a lens and sensor that would clip onto the back of your smartphone, sending a picture to the screen, and turn it into a decent camera. If you didn't need it on a trip, you could just leave it behind. The $500 QX100 had a 1-inch sensor, and both of them had zoom and shutter buttons built into what looked like a short stubby soup can. In the end, its prospects were killed by inconvenience and cost. And nowadays, smartphone manufacturers use very smart software to overcome the physical limitations of a tiny sensor and limited space for lens hardware. So which of those three is nonsense? The fight station motion suit? The roly rolling wireless speakers? Or the Cybershot smartphone cameras? So was the motion suit originally
3: intended to
2: be available to any console owner. Yep, that was the idea. It wasn't just a showpiece. The plan was to make it like a mocap suit that anyone could wear, like a cheap way of doing it. Because at the time, as Ian will know, motion capture, you had to wear Lycra suits and little ping pong balls and about 16 cameras around you for the sort of highly detailed stuff you'd shoot for a video game. But in this case, it would just need to know close enough which one you were trying to do, and that's the animation it would trigger.
0: Mm. Oh, this is really tough, because Peter knows his stuff.
4: So when did you say the second one came out, Peter?
2: Uh, I don't think I had a year for that one. But you said it was before the iPod. Well, it's whenever Avril Lavigne's girlfriend was. It'd be contemporary with that.
4: Ah, damn it. That's mid-2000s, I would guess, for that. Yeah, because Peter said it didn't survive the introduction of the iPod. But the iPod came out about five years before Avril Lavigne's girlfriend. Oh. So is that an error on his chronology there?
3: I'm just imagining a little BB-8 rolling around playing music. Mm-hmm. It is reminiscent of that, actually.
4: Uh. If it's real.
1: Rolling around and rolling... Uh... Yeah.
3: <laughs> but it should really have
2: been playing Rolling by Limp Bizkit. Yeah,
4: <laughs> you beat me to that for about a second. Oh. Or, ro- or the theme tune to uh, Rawhide. Yes. <laughs> rolling, rolling, rolling. Keep that robot Rolling. So the the suit thing Nintendo had the power glove didn't they
2: that used actually similar technology
4: and i can see how that could develop into the PlayStation move mm-hmm. oh yeah cuz there was that and there was connect wasn't there
2: yeah connect was the xbox yeah. vision system that i talked about
4: uh, yeah i think I, I have a vague memory of that i've seen the prototype of it and then i think it became PlayStation move the camera one kind of makes sense i don't remember a dancing egg i think that's ridiculous i think peter bought a sex toy he bought like a vibrated egg <laughs> And was thinking of Avid Levine while he was used, get and from, hence the, <laughs> the, the bluff developed. Thanks for the image, John. Can I get any more obvious? <laughs>
3: I don't know enough about photography to know about the third one, so I'm going to assume that's true. The motion suit seems plausible, and therefore BB-8, the real-life version, is my pick.
2: Ian, what are you going with?
0: I shall concur with Daniel, because I think servo motors that you need to roll a finger on like that, I don't think they've been advanced enough by then. Mm. The cameraman is plausible. Um, The suit... I apologise for
3: interrupting, but I've just imagined scenes from The Force Awakens in my head where BB-8 is just playing Avril Lavigne.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, carry on. (laughs) And the the movement suit is plausible, but I don't know whether (sighs) that...
4: I've got a Spearow BB-8 that came out around the time of The Force Awakens.
3: That was 2015.
4: Yeah, and Spearows were only a couple of years old at that point. Uh, So I don't think a rolling dancing robot would have existed eight years before that. It's bullshit, isn't it, really? Looking into
3: Peter's eyes... Ian, you have worn a motion suit before. I have. Would a home version have
0: worked? Like Peter says, you know, traditionally that kind of motion capture requires lots of cameras around the outside of it. But I do remember the, what was it, the Xbox 360? What was the little camera thing they had at the bottom? the Kinect, yeah. Yeah, which did an amazing job of kind of tracking your movements. So I'm going for the dancing robot. That's bullshit.
2: Karis.
1: Um, I'm going to go for number one just to be different.
2: That's the fighting suit. Yes. And John, what are you going for? I'm
4: going for the sex toy vibrating egg. <laughs> of course you are.
2: The moving speaker, robot speaker thing, is actually entirely true.
1: Oh. Get in!
2: And
4: here is a picture of it. Why is the picture in crayon, Peter? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Wow>. <laughs> that looks nothing like BB-8. Yes, yeah, with the words, what I
2: made underneath it. <laughs> <laughs> so that is entirely true. And the other one that is entirely true as well is the Cybershot camera. Ooh. It was literally a thing that you clipped onto your phone. I think I've seen, I've seen
4: versions of those. And the
2: one I made up is the fighting suit. Ah. Get in! Ah.
4: It's very plausible, though.
2: The amount of detail you put into that, I was thoroughly yeah, won I over. know, I <laughs> was
0: thoroughly impressed.
2: Okay, thank you very much. The first thing I made up was the idea of a CyberScan mouse. It was like an optical mouse that you rolled over a thing and it knew where it was the same way a mouse knows where it is. And it would also be like a scanner, so you'd be able to scan images and things by rolling the mouse over it and then I found it really exists, and there is one. So, (laughs) And the other thing I came up with was a convertible car that they would have done in collaboration with Toyota, and it's a bit like the way you can have cars that are convertible so the roof comes down and all the bits move. In this case, bits would move to turn like a normal family car into a van, so when you need to shift lots of things around, you could actually make your car bigger.
4: Ooh, that's a good idea. Who else we got left? It's me.
2: Oh, here we go. Brace yourselves. Yeah.
4: So, we are fully aware, are we, of um, Scarlett Johansson suing Marvel? Yes. Yes. Basically saying that the release of the film on Disney Plus at the same time as it was released in Cinemas has depressed the box office and therefore she's not getting the big books that she should be.
2: They're claiming $50 million less mm-hmm. in the lawsuit. Wow. Which seems like a hell of a lot for participation. That's mm. a lot of cash, isn't it? I
4: would have done it for a fiver.
2: And how much would you have done Scarlett Johansson for?
4: <laughs> As an aside, um, did you know that the young Scarlett Johansson at the start of Black Widow is the daughter of Mila Jovovich and Paul W.S. Anderson? Yes, I did not know that. She looks a bit like Scarlett Johansson, but she looks more like Milojovic, Jovovich, so we Googled it and it's, yeah, it's her daughter. Mm. It's not the first comic book lawsuit Marvel has been involved in. They've been in lots of litigation over the years. So here are three more Marvel stroke DC legal actions, two of which are real, one of which I have completely made up. Number one, Marvel spent many, many years convincing the government in a series of legal actions that none of their characters were human. The reason for this being that there is a different import tax on human dolls So if it's a human doll, you pay 12% tax on it. If it's a non-human doll, you pay 6% tax on it. Mm. So this led to, amongst other things, character bios for every single Marvel character that they had an action figure of, arguing whether or not they were human. Including Kingpin, because he has a tiny head and a huge body and unnatural strength, couldn't be human. The Fantastic Four couldn't be human because of their various super qualities. Marvel won the lawsuit, but then shortly thereafter had to apologise to fans who were outraged that they would suggest their favourite New York-based characters were not in fact human.
2: It does seem a bit like a sort of Jaffa Cakes debate, doesn't it? Whether they're biscuits or cakes. Yeah, it's
4: very, yeah. I,
2: th- I think in that case as well, for one particular court case, they argued it was a biscuit, and for another one, they argued it was mm. a cake, just for different tax breaks in different places.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Number two... Back in the 1940s, there was a character called Captain Marvel, who was very, very similar to Superman. And in fact, the first ever superhero film was a Captain Marvel film because they couldn't get the rights to Superman. DC sued the publishers of Captain Marvel, saying that he was too similar to Superman. And this litigation ran for years with them comparing the various different powers until eventually DC won. Many years later, DC bought the comic company that owned the Captain Marvel character and decided to do something with it. However, at that point, they could no longer call the character Captain Marvel because Marvel had, in the interim, come up with their own Captain Marvel. So the character was renamed Shazam. And the two movies, the Shazam and Captain Marvel movies, actually came out within a couple of months of each other in 2019. One side effect of this is that for a couple of years, anybody could produce a Superman comic because they ruled that Superman was in the public domain because they'd forgotten to put a copyright on one of the comic strips. Anybody could produce a Superman comic strip, and many, many people did before the decision was reversed on appeal.
2: John, is that actually true? Because I thought copyright exists as soon as you create a thing in a physical form, even if you haven't put the little C mark on it.
4: It depends if it's a bluff or not. Right,
2: but I thought that was your subsidiary rather than the actual thing.
4: Okay, that subsidiary bit is true, and yes, they lost, but on appeal, they won because of the point that you were making. Okay. Once you created it, it didn't actually matter too much. Number three, in the late 90s, Marvel Comics sued an adult entertainment show created by some ex-Chippendales called the (laughs) XXX-Men. This was a touring show featuring characters including Professor Sex... The Hairy Beast, Magnet, ooh, (laughs) and (laughs) psychox. How long did
2: you spend making those names up, John?
4: So, Marvel sued them. The litigation went on for a total of four years before they reached an out-of-court settlement, which allowed for the show to continue, but with the removal of the Stanley narration that he had recorded for the show.
2: (laughs) Bullshit. That is absolute shite, John.
3: Well, this is really difficult. <laughs> How are we gonna drag
4: out this? So let me just check the real thing. You ever did it with Stanley? <laughs> no, I think magneto was <laughs> where uh-huh. uh-huh. uh the Stanley innovation we go with Hello Blue Believers. But he needed because obviously this was when he wasn't working for Marvel in the nineties and he would you know, he would do many, many things for cash. Uh
2: Mm-hmm. Oh dear. Uh okay, so one of them I know for a fact is totally totally false. True. <laughs> well, <that> as well. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But the Shazam one is definitely true. Yes. I, I've heard that one before. What was the first one? <laughs>
1: Does it matter?
4: <laughs> the first one was that Marvel stated that all their actions, all their characters were not human in order to get a tax break. So
1: the X, X, X men. Yeah. I got kicked off the internet in high school because I'd seen the film Triple X at the weekend with my friends and then I was having an argument about Vin Diesel's character, Xander, what's he called?
3: Cage? Yeah. Yes.
1: Anyways, I looked up XXX and then I was immediately blocked. <laughs> on a separate occasion, I got detention for asking a fireman on a field trip how long his hose was. <laughs> i was seven years old just just (laughs) to clarify i was not trying to be dirty
4: so i know it's a toughie guys which one are you going for The bluff
1: (laughs)
2: oh which one it's number three (laughs) (laughs) it's very obviously number three i go for number three
1: yes yeah me too i think Uh, yeah number two no number three
4: i wondered about you for a second there uh, yes, you are all correct. There was no <laughs> XXX-Men stripper show narrated by Studley in the 90s. But wouldn't it have been great if there was? So we've buffed our bluffs, but the quizzing isn't over yet. Daniel, you have a little extra bonus quiz for us.
3: I've got a little mini quiz on stupid studio notes. Notes from the studio can sometimes improve a film or a TV program, and sometimes they're just stupid. These are five stupid studio notes I found. I'll read out the quote. If anybody gets it straight away, you get 10 points. If you all look at me blankly for a second, I'll give you a clue, and that's five points. If the blank looks continue, you get a second clue and you get one point.
4: Okay. So do
2: we buzz in or say our names? What was that?
3: Let's buzz in. Could I hear your buzzing noises please?
4: Sock. When will this end? Oink. Me, me, me.
3: Excellent. Thank you. So, uh quote number 1 is for a film. The studio note is he's good at drumming. We get it. Oh, uh When will this uh-huh. end? John. Is it whiplash. Correct. Oh, oh I didn't say that. That was said about Damien Chazelle's Whiplash, specifically <laughs> the long drum solo that ends the film. The studio note wanted it gone, but the director argued that it was the whole point of the film. (laughs) Ten points to John. Number two is about a TV show. This is awesome. I really love it. Does it have to have zombies in it?
2: Buzz! buzz
0: Me, 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 me. That's Ian. Um, The Walking Dead. Correct. Ten (laughs) points.
3: Yeah. According to uh, The Walking Dead co-creator Robert Kirkman, when a pilot for the show was turned into the NPC network, an executive is supposed to have said that. Does it have to have zombies in it?
2: <laughs>
3: Number three is another TV programme. As dire as its title. A collection of clichés and stock characters, which I can't see being anything but a disaster.
4: When will this end? John. I think that's Faulty Towers. It is Faulty Towers. Ten ah. more points.
3: Wow. That was a note about the pilot script that John Cleese submitted to the BBC. Goes to show, doesn't it? Number four is about a film, and this is a two-part quote. The higher the budget is, the less complex the characters should be. And could you take out the nuance? (laughs) Me, me, me. Ian. Is it Waterworld? It is not Waterworld, but you're in the right decade. Where will
4: this end? Ooh. We'll
3: let Peter have a go. Titanic. You're getting closer to the right year, John. Schindler's List. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um i you I'll let you have a guess and then I'll reveal the answer. I thought we were going
4: to get some clues.
3: Do you want a clue? Okay. Yeah. Yes, please. Okay. First clue, uh I had the CD single of the theme tune.
4: Oh.
1: Sock. Karis Prince of Thieves. Oh,
3: sadly not. Yeah. <laughs> well, sadly, that you didn't have that theme tune. Everybody had that. Next clue. Am I
1: allowed a
4: second go?
3: Ian's requested a second clue. Second clue: giant mechanical spiders.
0: <laughs> oh, me, oh Ian. War of the Worlds.
4: Well, well, West. Well, well, West. That's my, the my, one. West.
1: Yes. <laughs> You had the CD. Of course I did. It was an
3: excellent theme song. <laughs> Wiki Wiki, Wild Wild, Wild. Wild West, Jim West, Desperado, Rough Rider, No, You Don't mm-hmm. Want Nada, etc.
0: You should give Peter those 10 points because I, I, I snuck in on him.
2: <laughs> Not for the first time.
3: <laughs> those were both notes that Barry Sonnenfeld received when making Wild Wild West. So the higher the budget, the less complex the characters should be. And could you take out the nuance?
4: It's good that he actually took those notes on board though, isn't that? <laughs> <laughs>
3: so um, John and Ian are neck and neck On 20 points each uh, It's down to the final studio note This is about a film So, where are the white people?
2: Ooh.
3: Ian, uh, Peter, sorry
2: Colour purple?
3: Not the colour purple, but you're on the right lines Your first clue This is a best picture winner Sock. Me, me Oh, Ian get, gets in there. Amistad. It was not. When will Amistad. this end? Oh. John. Twelve years a slave. It was not twelve years a slave. Oh, your second clue. It was not originally announced as the best picture winner.
4: When will this end? Was it John? Green Book.
3: It was not Green Book. Ian, you could steal this.
0: This is the one that was uh, announced accidentally. Correct. It spotlight? was. Spotlight. That was a best Moon, picture winner.
4: And, and, and Moonlight Mile. We had the word
0: there, John. Moonlight.
4: Uh,
3: oh, oh, uh, um, yes, that one. Um, yes, but you haven't buzzed. I'm trying to think on, of what it is, though. Draw us. out the tension, the drama. We... Sock uh, Moonlight. Kerris. Yes, it was. It was <laughs> Moonlight, oh, <you> Keris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got you the point. <laughs> and I forgot to mention that the last question gets 50 points. Oh, You've won. Yay.
1: <laughs> Get in.
3: <laughs> Studio notes. Not always helpful. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well done. Great.
4: And that's pretty much the end of the show, apart from one little bit of news, Peter.
2: Breaking news.
1: <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs>
2: Yes, we'll be taking a short holiday for the next episode because Hazel and Andy are getting married. What? So we'll, we'll all be there. What? Hang on. Uh, well, apparently all of us apart from Dan will be there anyway. Who are they getting married to?
4: <laughs> to each other. Oh. No. I, I, it was awkward because I wasn't sure which of the weddings I was going to go to, but they're getting married to each other. <laughs> that makes it a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm in love with him. I'm in love with him. What? I saw first. I'm
3: glad we found this out now. It would have made it very <laughs> awkward when they asked about any objections.
4: Yeah, we're going to be tied down to our seats. Mr Chandler. Ian's going to run down the aisle in a wedding dress.
1: You know what we should do, guys? <laughs> when they ask if there's any objections, all five of us should start smashing the place up. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Just throwing chairs.
0: <laughs> Cake everywhere.
3: Not actually mentioning that we object at all. Yeah. No, just
1: no, smashing no. the place up, not seeing a Ooh. word, just, just making
0: a scene. Or how about we all? But they, but do the vows? We all just stand and go. This is bullshit, and we all just mm-hmm. leave the tent.
2: Do you think Hazel would ever speak to you again if you did that?
0: Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Worth it though for the gag.
3: <laughs> no, we are very excited for the nerd wedding. We do, of course, know all about it, and we're all in love with both of them and wish them many happinesses.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, oh, of course. But, but other other weddings are available.
4: Not on that day, they're not. Probably not so many with Hamilton soundtracks throughout.
0: But anyway, it's very exciting. We'll all be there. We might record some bits and bobs. I
2: think we'll do a live episode from. <laughs>
0: do a live stream as,
2: as during the ceremony. <laughs> Just interrupt them halfway through. Yeah, yeah. And then I can make her do it again.
4: Hey, Hazel, can yeah. you do that again, but sound like you mean it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That vow sounded like a bluff to me.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a bluff. <laughs> <laughs>
3: It will be a very happy, very nerdy wedding, and I'm looking forward to it. Yes, me too.
4: And as we record normally on a Sunday morning, or Sunday lunchtime, I think very few of us will be in a fit state to do that.
2: Lunchtime is quarter to five, John. It is quarter to five, yes. John lives in a different time (laughs) zone than the rest of us. That's why he never makes it on time.
4: But I I imagine there'll be many sore heads rather than podcast recording. Wow. So we will have a little bit, but we will be back.
0: Oh, you know what we should do, guys? We should turn up and do the XXX.
4: Men. Men, yeah,
0: mm. let's all dress up and then like get up and do a little sexy dance and strip. I'm in. Yay! I knew you I'm would be.
4: Going. <laughs> I mean, if Goodbye Horses is played in the cabaret, I've got a little act I can do. <laughs> <laughs> So, that's the end of the episode. If you've enjoyed the show, we'd love you to give us a shout-out on social media, whether that's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or however you like. And if you do give us a shout-out, Mr Ian Mack will come round and give you a special treat. Uh, what is that, Ian?
0: You know, if I was a member of the XXX class, and I was um, my character was Black Panther, I would give you a, a wank-hander forever. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Literally, like after two weeks, like, please stop, please stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing but dust coming out. <laughs>
1: Unbreak eye contact. i got to go to work.
0: <laughs> yeah, but then you could, have the, you could have the harlot bitch.
4: Doctor, no, I can't think of anything for Doctor Strange. Strange.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's like that.
4: So, that's the end of our show. <laughs> <laughs> but you have uh, been listening to
3: a man who thinks this episode will win the Guinness record for most editing required on a
2: podcast.
1: <laughs> That's not me.
2: Carissa, <laughs> <laughs> oh. I wouldn't do that or your flatmates will start to worry.
1: <laughs> I think they've left. I wonder why. <laughs> a woman whose flatmates have stopped asking questions.
0: A man who wants to whip Harrison Ford.
1: <laughs> oh. <laughs>
2: A man who wishes he had a gadget to edit the podcast for him.
4: And I'm a man whose every sexual misadventure is narrated by a Stan Lee voiceover.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We'll be back podding for you in a couple of weeks. See you then.
4: Until then, it's goodbye from all of us. Goodbye. Bye, 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 babe. Mwah.
0: Oh, was that a kiss?
4: Today for you, we've got some Buff or Bluffs, where we test each other on our film knowledge. And Daniel also has a special extra quiz for us involving studio notes. So let's get going. Oh, John, I've I've got a note about that intro. Um, could you try it, but could you take out every third word? So, today, <laughs> got some film or bluffs. We've also a note. Daniel...
1: Um, John, I've got a note on that. Would you mind doing that again, but in swears only? In
4: swears only. <laughs> Shitting, piss, shit, ass, cock, balls, <laughs> <laughs> socks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> socks.
0: <laughs> I've got a note on that, John. Can you do it again, but could you do it as a twelve-month-old
2: um, a baby? <laughs>
4: balls. <laughs> 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 Fuck us
2: (laughs) Could you do it as a baby who isn't swearing
4: Mama Why did you leave me baba (laughs)